And so you never know. But tonight, it won't be new territory tonight. Tonight, the topic we have is is a pretty familiar one, I hope, if you've been in church very long. hope it's a familiar one for your personal life. We're going to talk a bit about prayer. And then beyond that, we're going to talk a bit about restoring one another uh, in the right way. Now, James chapter 5, starting verse 13, we'll read a few verses and then we'll pray. The Bible says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name or with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity to study your word together, free from fear of persecution or closure. Lord, help us uh, to utilize the freedoms we have in this nation to witness to others and to worship together as often as we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see this this familiar topic of prayer brought up in James chapter 5, and it's some of the most famous verses on prayer that you find. Um, we, we, we see there's some things in the Bible sometimes that you see it, and it's not necessarily done that way in every church, and it's not necessarily a right or a wrong thing or a doctrinal thing. It's more of a procedural thing. And you see when you read through this verse, um, you see mentioned in, let's see, James chapter 5, verse number, let me find it here, uh, ver- verse number 14, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, now, I remember the first time I ever came to this church, I was looking through the office and, and there was this little bottle of, of oil in the office and I said, was this guy cooking in here? Like, I, I had no idea what it was for because I've never seen anybody ever anoint somebody with oil in a church. Now, you go down south, there's a lot more of it. You go down up north, there's there's none of it, at least in my experience. And is that right? Is that wrong? The oil, uh, my answer to that is the oil is not the important part of this verse. Um, there, there's so much people can argue about and, and try to nitpick and, you know, strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. And, and I get it. Um, I think there's, just like with everything, there's there's ditches on each side of the road. You could go to the denominations that make so much of the physical parts of worship that they have special names for their different utensils and things that they use and and everything has to be just right and they do power into the oil that the Bible doesn't do into the oil and then you got the other side of the spectrum that just completely ignores it. And so, you know, whether that's your preference or not, that's not really what we're talking about tonight, but it's just an example of how the Word of God shows us exactly what they did and, and the important part isn't necessarily the oil, it's the prayers, and it's the gathering together of the elders and the brethren and, and all that stuff. And so uh, whether you use oil or don't use oil or, or any of that, that's, you know, that's not what we're talking about tonight, but that's, on, that's up to you. Um, you. You come to me and you want me to douse your head in oil while I pray for you? Sure, I got some motor oil out back, we can, we can make that happen. Or, you know, use something a little, little better than that, I don't know, but... Uh, if you, if you prefer to stay dry and get prayed for, nothing wrong with that either. And so, so that's just one of those things. There's, there's different administrations, uh, and, and we don't all have to be exactly the same. 
prayer, though, we know is an incredible gift from God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Which, if we consider our sinful condition a need, a time of need is pretty much all the time. I'm thankful that we can go to the throne of grace any time because we have times of need pretty often. We read that verse and we think times of need like I'm sick or times of need like I lost my job, but times of need is also <clears throat> I might lose my testimony today if I don't pray. <laughs> I might lose my cool with my boss if I'm not prayed up first. That's a time of need. That's a spiritual need, and that's just as important or more important than the physical. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Uh, it's a blessing. It's a good thing to know that we have a God that hears. I, I always, whenever I think about prayer, I think about that showdown on Mount Carmel where, where the, the, the prophet of the Lord is mocking the prophets of Baal. Maybe he's far off. Maybe he's asleep. Just yell a little louder. You know, he's just making fun of them uh, because their God couldn't hear them. Their God couldn't do anything for them. But our God hears prayer. And, and, and the prophet, of course, prays, you know, prays a verse and a half long prayer and God sends fire down from heaven. And so we're thankful, I hope you're thankful, for the gift of prayer. The thought that God, the creator of heaven and earth, uh, God, the sustainer of all things, uh, God, the, the father, has any interest at all in my life, that's a blessing. The fact that he would listen to me is a blessing. You can't get somebody from customer service to listen to you. I mean, come on. You, you call up about something and you're lucky to get a human being and then you're lucky to get a human being that doesn't hate their life and wants you to know it when they're on the phone. And just, it's a pain just to get people to pay attention to your needs. And, and yet the Lord's got a little bit, he's a little bit more important than just people. He's a little bit higher office than just people. You wouldn't, you know, you'd call up your friend and say, oh, I just need to talk to somebody. That's pretty understandable. You wouldn't call the president of the United States and say, well, I just need to talk to somebody. Uh, probably several reasons you wouldn't do that, but you wouldn't expect the White House to pick up your call because who are you? I mean, you're calling the president. That's, there's a difference there. But we're talking to God. Uh, it's, it's crazy to me. If I ever lose that, you know, where, oh, it's just talking to God, that's, that's, that should be a big deal. It should be a, a, an amazing thing to think about, just like our salvation. We, when we lose that childlike faith, that excitement over these things that should be exciting, that's when we end up being the frozen chosen, just sitting in the pews. This is all, this is just, I'm used to it. We should never get used to the fact that we can talk to God and that he hears us and that he answers prayer and that he's willing to forgive our sins. That's a blessing. Turn with me a couple of places in your Bible. First Timothy chapter two and Romans chapter eight. First Timothy chapter two and Romans chapter number eight. It's nice. The Lord also always picks up, you know, you pray and he hears. He, you, there's plenty of times you try to call somebody again and again and again and again. Nothing. Press one for English. You don't have to do that when you're praying to God. <laughs> That's a blessing. All right. We see uh, we see some details about prayer given in these verses. First Timothy chapter two, verse number five. First Timothy chapter two, verse number five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This verse is so important. It may not be super special to you or super important to you because you may have grown up believing the Bible. You may have grown up in a decent church that showed you this, that you understood, I, I pray to Jesus Christ, I pray in His name, 
I pray to the Father, I pray in the name of Christ, that the Holy Spirit helps my prayers. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and, and he's the only one I ought to pray to. Most of you probably grew up with that in mind, but there's a lot of people out there that grew up praying to hundreds of different people or gods or so-called saints, and, and that's not biblical. Anywhere in the Bible, there, there's no no reason for it anywhere. And I always ask people, I challenge them this, I say, okay, so we'll just we'll just call it what it is. So you're a Catholic, so you, you do you pray to saints? Well, you know, I pray to saints such and such for this and saints such and such for that. Okay, all right. So that saint, in order to be a saint, you know, in the Catholic Church, you got to, I think it's performed two miracles, verified by the church, don't know how they do that, and you got to be dead because, you know, they ignore what the Bible says about we're all saints if we're saved. And so, um, so I ask him this and say, okay, imagine you are, are such a good Catholic, you end up being a saint one day. You, you, you make the roster. You, you do the miracles, you, you do enough good deeds or whatever the judgment is, and, and they vote you in as saint, Saint Billy. Well, now you're in heaven, but you don't get to enjoy it. And then usually they get confused at that point. What do you mean I don't get to enjoy it? Well, you're stuck answering all the prayers of all these people. I mean, does that sound like a really good time to you? I, people that want to be ultra-spiritual, oh, I, I, whatever God wants for No. You want to get to heaven. You want to enjoy heaven. You want to sit around for eternity listening to all the junk we got going on down here. The Bible says there's not going to be any more tears up there. If I am if I am stuck on the phones for the people down here, there's going to be some tears of anger. It's going to be a problem. That's not a life that we want. That's not an eternity to look forward to. That's terrible. It's customer service for eternity. Now, that's the Lord's job. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and it's not Mary. It's the Lord Christ Jesus. And it's not St. Christopher or St. Barnabas or St. John. It's, it's not any of them. It's Jesus Christ alone. And and there's I don't I don't fully understand where they get that doctrine from other than they just made it up because the Bible doesn't give any indication of anybody else uh, with any kind of ability to take our prayers to God except for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit Romans chapter eight verse number twenty six Romans eight twenty six Bible says here likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind, what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Um, we we have a mediator between us and God. It's Christ alone. It's it's the triune God, the Holy Spirit, Christ, and God the Father. Are that's all that's involved in prayer. The angels don't take our prayers to God. Christ and the Holy Spirit do. The, the angels have nothing to do with it. Saints don't take don't take our prayers to God because guess what? If you're saved, you're a saint, and I'm a saint. And and I've, our our pastor in Michigan one time, Pastor Summers, um, he told me a story recently. He said there was a there was a man that approached him at a, at a Wendy's or something. He always is there studying with his Bible open, and sometimes people come up to him because of it. And uh, he said he he knew this guy, but he knew the guy didn't know that he knew him, and he knew the guy was some some higher up in the local Catholic church there, and. Um, and uh, the the guy came up to him, and I guess Pastor Summers was a little short on patience that day, and he said, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I did, and I'm glad I did. And, uh, and I said, what did you do? And he said, well, he came up to me, and he, he asked me what I was reading, and I told him, and he said his name, and he asked my name, and I said, well, I'm St. 
summers. And uh, <laughs> he said he got mad and walked away because Pastor Summers introduced himself as a saint. And according to that religion, you can't be a saint if you're alive. And so it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing that you can have so many different versions of Christianity that believe such crazy, wildly different things and claim to all be the same. It's just like with the perversions of the Bible. You, you have 5,200 different versions of the Bible or whatever it may be, all claiming to be the same thing, and none of them read the same as each other. No wonder atheists are atheists. No wonder lost people aren't running to the churches. They're, they're wondering which one. Uh, we can't stop bickering between ourselves. That's why, when, that's why the blessing that we have, the blessing that I have, because my parents at some point found an independent fundamental Baptist church as I was growing up, we have that independence to say, hey, we just use the Bible. It's a blessing to me to be able to say, we just use the Bible. We don't have a governing board. We don't have a, you know, a regency. We don't have uh, all this, you know, we don't vote on whether we think it's okay to ordain women or whether we think it's okay to marry homosexuals. We just look at the Bible and the Bible tells us what to do. And that's, that's the easiest way and that's the best way. Yeah, Brother Ken. Yeah. No. No, they don't. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. Uh, yeah. And I'm always having to update you when we do our um our yeah, which which one <laughs> when we do our uh, our discipleship series starting next week, I I'm going to have to update again. I always have to update which modern perversions are the most popular ones so I can do the compare and contrast thing like we always do and it's I I've yet to Everybody tells me, oh, this one's so much better, or this one's so much better. And for a while it was uh, the NKJV, and now it's the ESV that everybody likes. I'm like, these are junk. I'm sorry. It's the truth. <laughs> you compare it to your King James Bible, and it does not say the same thing. Uh, it's, it's a problem. Anyways, that's not our topic tonight, but hey, it's always good to hit on that. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given you. That's where people like to stop, right? <laughs> asking it shall be given you. Period. The end. But that's not that's not what it is. Asking it shall be given you. Seeking it shall find. Knocking it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now, of course, you got to compare Scripture with Scripture. The Bible tells us that if we pray anything according to His will, He heareth us. We can't just say, "Lord, I want a Ferrari," and we get a Ferrari. That's you know, if the, if that was the case. Nothing would be worth anything because everybody would win the lottery. Everybody would have $100 million. Everybody would have the nicest car. And if everybody has it, it's not that special. Um, so that, that'd be a problem. But we do see here, uh, I think we see in this passage, part of the problem that we have, especially I think in our nation and our culture, is we skip the most important part, which is ask. I mean, the prayer of faith, we'll talk about that, but, but asking, just starting the ball rolling. I am confident that there are certain people in my life that have asked me to pray for them that have never prayed for themselves because they just, they maybe they don't think they're getting through or maybe they just don't feel like they can or maybe they just don't care that much about it, but they'll ask for, you know, the preacher to pray or the youth pastor to pray or, or whatever it may be. Um, we just need to ask. We start asking, start knocking, start seeking, and uh, maybe we'll get some answers. Now, we often pray about something that we've already made our minds up about. Without, we don't necessarily realize it, but I know I've caught myself and, and I've had to scold myself plenty of times for it, going through a prayer list and praying, Lord, brother so-and-so needs this. 
And 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 you're thinking in your head, you know you shouldn't be, but you're thinking in your head, that's never going to happen. So, oh, yeah, I've, I've had that thought. I've gone through a prayer list before and, and assumed the worst or assumed that something's not going to come to pass the way people are praying for it to come past or whatever it may be. We just, sometimes we lack faith or sometimes it's just whatever it may be, There we, we pray without the right attitude behind the prayer. And, and we don't want to do that. That's not a prayer that's going to be answered the way it could be. James 5.16, of course, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. One of those verses that a lot of people know, but few people actually look at, because it says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Everybody has this idea that, well, if you're saved, that means you can pray and God's going to hear you. And Sure, maybe He'll hear you, but your prayer is not going to avail much if you're not a righteous person. Say, well, I have the righteousness of Christ. When it comes to salvation and, and heaven or hell, yes. But when it comes to your practical daily living, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And and yes, God can still view us as righteous in a sense because he, uh, he, re- he referred to uh, Lot as having a righteous soul. And we know that he was, you know, not the best example. But we, um, we, so we can see we can live righteously to, to a degree here on earth. And if we're not, if we're living in sin and we're living in wickedness, then the Bible shows us here our prayer is not going to avail very much. It's, it's still pray. I'm not telling you don't pray, but I'm saying if your prayers aren't coming to pass, if you're, if you're not seeing much fruit from your prayer life, if it feels like you're talking to a wall, then maybe there's a problem between you and the Lord that needs to be ironed out. Husbands sometimes will go a while talking to our wife, and realize, and, and then we realize one day, wait a second, there's something wrong. There's a problem here. She's not smiling. She's not even looking at me. And you find out that for a week and a half, she's been mad at you about something, and whatever you've been talking to her about, she ain't listening because she's mad at you. Now, the, the men are being quiet, and the ladies are looking at me like, I better not go that way, but... I've seen that happen where, where uh, even in my own life, not necessarily between me and Michelle, we have a wonderful relationship, of course, but there's been plenty of times where I'll be talking and I'll realize, wait a second, there's a problem here. I need to, I need to correct something and then we can continue our conversation because right now the conversation is hindered by my lack of asking for forgiveness for something or my lack of repenting of something. Same thing with our relationship with God. And so we need to make sure we are doing our best to pray and uh, and to understand the fervent, effectual uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, in that same passage, in that same verse, James 5.16, we find yet another thing where people will misuse the word of God or misinterpret the word of God in order to promote something that is false. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. And whenever somebody... I have heard time and time again, I've heard people misquote this verse and say, confess your sins one to another. And you know and you know why they say that? Because that's what they learned in Mass. Because that's the only way they can justify going into a box and telling some man everything they've ever done. That's not what the Bible says. Confess your faults one to another. And I've heard people tell me, well, it's practically the same thing. Well, if that's the case, why didn't it just say sin? I've heard people tell me, well, faults are sins. Okay, does God not understand? Because God wrote sins in some places and faults in other places. They're two different words for a reason. A, a fault that we have, best, best way I've heard it explained is this, and this may be sufficient for you, it may not, but it's, it's my intellect, so we're, we're limited. 
best way I've heard it explained is this. A fault compared to a sin would be, you know, brethren, pray for me because I lose my temper. You're not admitting a specific sin. That just opens up a whole rabbit hole of horrible possibilities. And, and you're not getting into some intimate details about your life that you don't need to get into with somebody else. You can just, you can just, I have a fault in my life. I have a problem that I know I consistently struggle with. And I'm asking you to pray for me. I tend to blow off devotions. Pray for me. I haven't been praying like I should. Those are faults. It's a sin, yes, but it's a fault that is in your life that you can ask prayer for that it's not a specific thing. Like, pray for me, I punched somebody in the face today. Um, you, get into, you get into the specific prayer requests, and, and I've, had, I've debated people about this before. It's not beneficial to tell another man your deepest, darkest, sinful secrets because that man is not God. That man is an imperfect sinner and that man may very well either let it slip on accident or let it slip on purpose what you've told him behind closed doors. And now you've got brethren with brethren not very happy with each other because this one just aired out everything about this one. You say, well, that doesn't happen. Ah! Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Normally it happens in Baptist churches. We don't, we don't you know, confess our sins to one another. We don't confess our sins to the priest or the pastor or anything like that because we... That's not what the Bible says to do, but um, there are plenty of times where I've heard people air things out that were probably only intended for their ears. Well, preacher, so-and-so came to me and they wanted me to pray for something and I'm just going to fill you in. No, no, no. It's not your request to fill me in on. It's their request. Did they ask, if they wanted me to know about it, they'd ask me or they'd have, they'd have told me to pray for them. Now what you're doing is you're gossiping. You're, you're taking something that's some intimate secret about somebody else and under the guise of asking for prayer for them, you're spreading it. And what's going to happen when that gets out? It's going to be a problem. That's going to affect that person's ability to trust anybody to pray for them about anything. And uh, going to cause all kinds of problems. Now, ask prayer for one another? Yeah, absolutely. But the Bible never says confess your sins to one another. You want to do it? You can do it. But there's a risk with it. Understand that you're confessing your sins to a human, not to God. God does not require us to confess to mankind. He requires us to confess to Him. He's the one that can forgive us anyways. So me confessing to you, um, anyways, we'll, we'll move on from that. All right, we've got a lot to get to. So the, the Bible teaches clearly prayer life. Your, your life life matters to your prayer life. How you live, whether you are living in wickedness or trying to live in righteousness, that matters, that affects your prayer life. Uh, we confess to God, not to man. Jesus Christ is the only mediator. And and prayer, I, I believe that prayer that works, that truly, truly works, isn't about saying just the right words or, or even asking just the right things. You know, we've talked about before, if you want to have, see more answered prayer, prayer for thing, pray for things that God wants to answer. Pray for lost souls to be saved. Pray for chances to witness, things like that. And that's all good and that's all true. But I think the prayers that, that the Lord blesses the most are the prayers that are clearly from the heart and, and that come from a, a right place with the Lord. Now, you think about, uh, let's go ahead and turn there. we got time. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David, essentially his prayer of repentance to God after his sin with Bathsheba and her husband. 
becoming a, an, a sexual deviant and a murderer. And he prays this entire psalm is, is wonderful. You, you can hear, just from reading this psalm, you can hear that he means it. I, I don't know any better way to put it, but you can just hear that, that he means what he's saying. Here, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. That's a good way to start off any prayer. So make sure there's nothing in between you and God. Just like we do it at communion. You know, make sure there's nothing between us so we can have a good open communication here. If you skip down with me to verses 16 and 17, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I think prayers... Uh, when it comes to our prayers, our words matter less than our heart. Our, our condition of our heart, the focus of our heart, uh, whether or not the Lord has any control over our heart, that I think matters a lot more than the words that we say. And so uh, when it comes to prayer, it's a prayer of faith. It's a fervent prayer. It's a prayer of a righteous person. It's a prayer from the heart. Now, we come to James chapter 5, and we come to the last two, two verses in this passage, in this book of the Bible. And we have quite a quite a shift here, um, but I think it's fitting to go from prayer to restoration because prayer is definitely vital if you're trying to restore a brother or sister in the faith. Um, verse 19 of James 5, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, again, what is our context? Who are we who are we speaking to in the book of James? James chapter 1, verse 1 or 2, where we're speaking to Jews. For chapter 2, verse 1, we're speaking to saved Jews. We're speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when he writes to saved people, he's saying if one errs from the truth and one converts him, that's what's going on. You've, you've gone away from the truth. Maybe you've followed false doctrine. Maybe you've uh, just kind of denied God and, and cast him aside, or maybe you're just off living in sin, whatever it may be, you are not on the path of righteousness anymore. You've erred. And so in that, we need to understand that context for verse 20, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways. That's not saying sinner that's never been saved. That's a brother who is gone off the path. He shall save a soul from death and shall hide him all to sin. Now this, again, this is a passage where people can take it and twist it and say, look, you can lose your salvation because this person's saving a soul. I understand that. I get it. If you don't study and compare and, and put Scripture with Scripture and you just read that verse, you might come to that conclusion. I understand that, especially if you have certain backgrounds. But what the Bible says here is that you've converted the sinner from the error of his way. We're all sinners. It's a saved person, verse 19, a, a brother in Christ, one of you do err from the truth, one convert him. Uh, Bible says, so save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, I'm going to, I don't do this often, but I'm going to read for you a, an excerpt from a, from a book um, from H.A. Uh, Ironside. Um, he, he, just like most people, you got to be careful with him because sometimes he tries to fix the Bible. But, um, but this passage, I think he, he got right in this explanation. Uh, he says, the sinning one here is a believer who has gone astray from the path of subjection to the truth. To patiently go after such an one and to convert or turn him again to obedience to the Lord is to save a soul from death. 
physical death, which is the last act of God in his governance of his family, and to cover or hide a multitude of sins. This is to practice that charity, which Peter also tells us shall cover the multitude of sins. First Peter 4, 8. Not our own sins, of course, but those of the erring brother. By leading him to repentance so that he judges himself and acknowledges his waywardness, he is restored to fellowship with God and preserved from going deeper into sin so that the heavy hand of the Lord doesn't have to be upon him in further chastening, even to shortening his life on earth as an evidence of the doc of the divine displeasure. This is the same as sitting unto death. 1 John 5, 16 and 17, many a child of God has been taken home far earlier than he would have otherwise been because of willfulness and insubjection of spirit. And so I... I agree. I agree with what he says here. I, I think he sums it up well. Um, this death that is spoken of is not a death of the soul. It is a death that comes from rejecting the truth of the Word of God. And, and you, you, it's easy to look out and say, well, why doesn't God just kill everybody in the world? Well, they all do die. I mean, the wages of sin is death. And, and certain ones, like what we find in Romans chapter 1, where the Bible talks about the, the homosexual person, the sodomite, receives in themselves the error of their ways and all that. I forget the exact wording there, but they live a half-life. Their, their average lifespan is 44, and, and the average lifespan, or I think 42, actually, and the average lifespan of a, of a heterosexual or of a normal person is in the 80s. And so the Lord, it's pretty clear that the more you sin, the more likely you are to die sooner, even just from a physical standpoint. You're an alcoholic, you're going to die sooner. You're a, you're a homosexual, you're going to die sooner from disease. You're, you're, a, you're a fornicator, you're going to die sooner from disease just like the homosexual. And, and so the, the concept is there, and it's proven throughout the Scripture, that you can essentially, we don't know when we have, our life is vapor, as James says, but um, we certainly know that obeying God and living the way that God tells us to is going to increase our chance of living longer instead of decrease it. And so here we see the, the physical death being spoken of, somebody that the Lord doesn't take home before their time. And the reason I bring up the world is because it's easy for a Christian to say, well, I don't agree with that because the world, you know, God doesn't take them out when they're 20 years old and all that stuff. Some of them he does, but God, if, if you were, you may want to, but if you're in the store and you've got your children and you've got somebody else's children, you're going to correct your children. You may want to correct somebody else's children because, I mean, they're crazy nowadays, but that's not your child. You're going to treat them differently than you treat your own children. And so when we look at how God treats the lost world versus how God treats saved Christians, it's going to be different in that degree. He expects more from us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the Word of God. And so we have essentially, we have all this truth and all this knowledge and all this wisdom from God. He expects us to use some of it. And so when we err, He's going to chasten us as a father does a child. And so part of that, the end of that chastening, if we just refuse to get right, sometimes... Time to go. Uh, we had we had neighbors in uh, Burning Tree Lane in Romulus, Michigan, years ago. Uh, we had neighbors that asked us to pray for their son that he would die. That was the strangest prayer request I had received to that point. And I said, "Is he sick? Like I, I thought he was, you know, suffering or something." I said, "No, he he has been in sin for so long. He's been making a he's been he's been sullying the name of God and the name of our family. He's just been doing all this wickedness, and we have tried and tried and tried and." Now we're just praying that the Lord just takes him out of here. It's like, okay, all right. I don't know that I could get to that point with my child. I don't know whether that's right or wrong. You can make that judgment on your own, but that was their prayer request. They were like, huh? we know the Lord can do it. We just want we just want it to end. They were like, we know he's saved. We know he's got a testimony of salvation, and, and 
all he's doing here is making things worse, and, and so we just want him out of here. That's, that's, that's quite a quite a way to look at things. But uh, we do know the Lord definitely does uh, take away physical life from people sometimes, and uh, everybody does die. Sometimes it is the Lord's chastening. Sometimes it is uh, the Lord's hand at work. Now, the Bible says in Galatians 6-7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And there's a lot of things that we sow in our lifetime, sow to sin, and we're going to reap them. And sometimes we reap them in, in the judgment seat. Sometimes we reap them in this life. And we suffer in this life. And, and when the Bible talks about saving a soul from death, it's not talking about eternal death. It's not talking about eternity. That's already been handled by Christ. And the, the saving of a soul from death is talking about that physical death. Um, and, and hiding a multitude of sins. Can you imagine? That's a, that's a wonderful thing to do. You, you've essentially prevented sin. You get somebody to, you work on somebody and pray for somebody and, and reason with somebody and, and love on somebody and you get them to get back right again and, and pretend, potentially keep, keep them on the, or get them on the right path for the next 20 years. That's, that's a huge difference. That's a big change. Now, um, it is it's far easier to write off the errant brother or sister because especially when you first attempt to restore them, it usually results in offenses. Um, Proverbs eighteen nineteen: a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. It isn't easy to tell someone that they are in error without them getting offended. Even, especially if the way they're living, I mean, honestly, if, if there's somebody living in sin who is genuinely saved, that means that they are ignoring God, ignoring the Word of God, and you are this last-ditch effort to try and convince them to get back right with God. That's a pretty big challenge to convince someone who hasn't been convinced by the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty big, big task. And so a lot of people... Somebody gets far enough away from God, they just write them off. Just well, I guess they're never coming back. Well, I guess they're just gonna do just gonna do that forever, and and maybe they'll pray for them, but they won't actually go and try to restore them proactively. Sometimes we we I gotta word this right. I think sometimes we lean on prayer too much, in the sense that we replace our obligations with prayer. So you know, pray for the lost. Okay, yes, but reach them. Go talk to them. You know, somebody who says, well, pray for my son. He's out of church. Tell him. <laughs> like, yes, we're going to pray for him, but what are you doing about it? You're, you're the dad. You're the mom. Go to him. Tell him. Get in church. <laughs> Especially, I, I never understood the ones where they live under your house still. It's like, we, we, had, a, we had a deacon in the church in Michigan for, for a little while that if the kid didn't want to come to church, he didn't come to church. If the kid didn't want to go to youth group, he didn't go to youth group. I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing, apparently. At least parenting-wise. It's, it's crazy. And so sometimes I think when it comes to this whole topic at the end of James, sometimes when it comes, we're supposed to restore somebody. That takes effort on our part. It's not just, God, please restore them. He's already trying to restore them. Holy Spirit's working on them. The Word of God's working on them. Preaching's working on them. Maybe the Lord's bringing people into their life to work on them, but you know the person, you go restore them. You do something about it. You try to convince them from the Word of God why they need to get right or why they're in error or what the why it's a problem. 
Because the whole world is trying to convince them that being in error in God's eyes is not a wrong thing. It's liberating. And so we need to go to them and say, we need to pray about it, yes, but not just use that as an out and say, well, I prayed about it. Okay, put some feet to your prayers. Go and talk to them. In love, from the Word of God, try to convince them of the error of their ways. And, and the Bible says, you do that, you've saved a soul from death and hidden a multitude of sins. That's a blessing. That's something we ought to strive for. That's something for within the church. We, we have our commission to the world, but if we don't maintain the church, what's the world going to have to come to? Uh, it's, it's, it's the mess that we're in right now. We've got church that, that's fractured and splintered, and, and it's just such a mess when you look at the so-called church as a whole. And we get that way from people uh, erring from the truth and refusing to come back to the truth. Thankfully, James also reveals that such an individual can be restored. That's a blessing. This ought to be the goal always of a church and of individual Christians whenever somebody errs from the truth. Whatever pain they cause, whatever harm they do to the local church, the name of Christ, if God wants them restored, then we should want them restored. We can't force it. It's still their, their free will to choose whether they want want to get restored or not, and if they won't repent of, of their ways, then they're not coming, they're not restored. But we ought to do our best to always go after that sinner, uh, just like Christ in the 99, right? He went after the one, the one that got out of the way. And uh, when it comes to, I think sometimes we focus on the lost, which we, we should, at, to the detriment of those that are saved. And, and those that are saved, you know, somebody starts missing church for a while, and it's like, well, I guess they're gone. No, do something about it. Go to them. Find out what's going on. Are they sick or are they sick of church? <laughs> what's the problem? And can we fix it? Can we restore each other? If we, can, if we can restore and maintain just the people that are in the church, then the church will automatically grow. But if we can't even keep ourselves in the right way, how are we going to expect to do much for the, for the Lord? Go to the world and try, start trying to convert sinners and just know, well, in six months they'll be gone anyways. <laughs> it's not a good outlook. We've got to be able to try to convince, convert, pray for one another, all these things. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and all it reveals to us, all it teaches us. Help us to live by these principles as we've seen tonight. Lord, help us to fervently pray. Lord, help us to have a righteous motive in our prayers. Lord, help us to do our best to pray in faith, expecting you to answer, Lord. Help us to pray for things that are in your will and to pray for your will to be done. The Lord, help us to never... Uh, substitute effort on our part for just prayer, Lord. Help us to pray and go. Help us to pray and reach out to others. Help us to pray and preach. Lord, help us to pray and try to restore those that have fallen away from the truth. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Ken. Page 342 in our hymn books. We'll stand together and sing a couple of verses. The altar, of course, is always open if you have a need tonight and would like to pray. Page 342.